0: This is a Vault Studios production.
1: I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson.
2: I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. I
3: think we really just don't know what happened. We're just not getting information. And it's, I don't know if I could say it is a cold case, but it does feel like a cold case.
2: It's November 2nd, 2016. Long, flowing golden locks trail behind a wife and mother of two who goes out for her routine run in Mountain Gate, near her home just north of Redding, California. Her name is Sherry Papini. But the petite, blonde haired blue blue-eyed 34-year-old doesn't make it home. I just got home from work, and uh, my wife wasn't there, which is unusual. I found her phone, and it's got, like, hair ripped out of it in the headphones. So I'm like totally freaking out thinking somebody like okay, what's her? grabbed her. People in Shasta County, where Sherry was born and raised, are in shock. She
3: was kind of the super mom. She was, um, she, she I mean she had children, she had a husband, but it seems like she had this perfect family. And I think that's why a lot of us were, we just couldn't believe like this story just, this, this story was happening.
2: Ananda Rachita is an investigative reporter and anchor for KXTV in Sacramento.
3: It was just kind of unbelievable because it sounded like it was straight out of a movie. It was this mom with, with her kids and um, she was by herself jogging and then she disappeared. And, and that was it.
2: The Shasta County Sheriff's Office begins investigating. Twenty-two days later, on Thanksgiving morning, as friends, family, and the community gather to release balloons before the annual turkey trot in Redding, in hopes of raising awareness about her disappearance, everything changes. It's four thirty in the morning, November twenty-fourth. A trucker sees a woman wandering around just off Interstate Five in Yolo County, about one hundred and forty miles south of where Sherry had vanished three weeks earlier. The woman is bound, but does her best to flag down someone for help. Could it be Sherry?
4: and the Shasta County Sheriff's Office has just released video taken by a security camera at a Jehovah's Witness church in Yolo. Now, the footage shows Papini running to the left and the right for several yards before eventually disappearing off camera. The end of the video, which we're showing you here, shows her running towards an I-5 on-ramp. Now, she was found by police a short time later with a chain connecting her waist to one of her arms and clamps around her ankles.
2: The 5'3", 105-pound blonde woman's hair is shorter, and she's bruised, disheveled, and burned with a branding on her shoulder. It is Sherry Papini. Now, a frail 87 pounds, bruises on her face, and her long hair chopped. Shasta County Sheriff Tom Busenko.
0: She was released by her captor on a rural road. She was bound with restraints, but
2: was able to summon from a passing uh, help
0: from a passing motorist. Her
2: tearful husband, Keith Papini remembers the moment he saw his wife for the first time after her return they branded her so i just wanted to see her so i i just ran past everybody and i you know throw open the curtain and she was there
4: you know in a bed and her poor face and i just hugged her i just held her i felt like i hugged her for like 20 minutes i was so happy that she was there and, and i was
2: Just kissing her all over and then got, like, nauseated just looking at her. But the story doesn't end there, and neither does the mystery of her disappearance. What happened to Sherry Papini while she was gone? Theories run the gamut, including that her kidnapping was an elaborate hoax. One year after she says she was abducted, new information is released, including Sherry's account of who snatched her that day. Sherry tells police that she was grabbed off the Royal Road in Mountain Gate, by two Hispanic women in a dark SUV. She tells investigators that the younger woman was holding a handgun and had long curly hair, thin eyebrows, pierced ears, and a thick Spanish accent. The older woman had straight black and gray hair and thick eyebrows. In two composite sketches of those women, they're wearing bandanas around their faces, covering their noses and mouths. As Sherry says, she remembers them. Police say it took Sherry that long to remember their appearance. According to her, they held her captive, beat and starved her, and branded her right shoulder with illegible letters. Investigative reporter Ananda Varchita started covering Sherry's case after the young mother of two returned home. There were a lot of questions still looming.
3: There were so many things that were just so questionable, and as a station, I felt like we just we couldn't go off these things and all these different answers until we heard it from the sheriff's department and. It, and we really never had a clear answer from them. I know they're still investigating from according to what they say, but um, as to who these two women are, these two Hispanic women that allegedly took her in and dropped her off, we have no idea who these people are. If they're even from the Sacramento area, they could, for all we know, they could be even in the area or just already gone from I-5.
2: Two other pieces of new information the FBI released the year following her disappearance included there was texting between Sherry and a Detroit, Michigan man, and that she planned on meeting up with him just before she vanished. That man, who hasn't been named publicly, has been cleared as a suspect. And two DNA samples were found on Sherry's clothing one from a woman, another from a man, not her husband. That DNA evidence was submitted to a nationwide database. But so far, no more answers as to whose DNA it is have been released to the public, and Sherry isn't talking to the media.
3: The family has um, said that they wanted privacy, and I feel like maybe people have given that to her. I know that we haven't really tried to kind of push uh, Sherry or her husband to talk, but I I would love to get some answers, because if it is human trafficking, I think that has to be investigated, but we just don't know. I think a lot of people are kind of leaning more towards: Is this a hoax? Is this a mom that just wanted to escape, or did she? Did was there really a crime involved?
2: That's the question that's troubled many. But here's what we do know based off Sherry's account of events:
3: It was two
2: Hispanic women, um, but
3: Sherry, based on what the sheriff's department said, couldn't give any a very good description of them. So. All we knew was that there were two Hispanic women who allegedly took her in, and then one of them just dropped her off off the highway. And where she was found, it's it's Woodland. It's off of I-5. So just to, to kind of describe that area, it's it's very rural, and um, there's it's a lot of agriculture. You're kind of near um, a big university, but it's still a very quiet town.
2: And while very little information has been released to the public, the FBI did confirm that Sherry was not sexually assaulted. So what did happen to her? Ananda started digging into a topic she's investigated extensively in the area, human trafficking. She calls an organization she's been working closely with to see if there's any connection to Sherry's kidnapping.
3: Right. Until she was found, there was a lot of speculation as to what happened. Um, I talked to a lot of uh, human trafficking organizations here in the Sacramento area, and they pretty much, when they heard the case, they said, that's absolutely human trafficking. They were completely convinced. They are saying that Sacramento's a hotbed for these kinds of cases. Um, We're right next to several highways, I-5, I-80, and they're saying this is the kind of the corridor um, of human trafficking. So right until she was found, she was found um, in the morning, I believe it was like around Thanksgiving, Um, that's what kind of they they kind of assumed. And right when we kept getting more details about how she was found, how she was bruised and battered and how there was a symbol or, or kind of a message imprinted on her body, then those speculations kind of changed from human trafficking to
2: was this possibly a cult even. Meredith Curry is the president of Restoration Railroad, an organization that works with human trafficking survivors.
4: I-5 is a major corridor um, throughout California for human trafficking simply because it provides um, easy access and movement of girls and women um, trafficking victims around the state.
2: And that branding on Sherry's shoulder could be an indicator of human trafficking.
4: If you're dealing with gang members who are traffickers, then often the tattoo will be a street moniker or some kind of symbol. Sherry Papini,
3: one thing that was interesting with them and why they and some organizations thought that it just didn't make sense was that she was older. She was in her 30s, but she, she looks really young from far away. So one of the speculations they had was... What if they just picked her up on her run that morning and and they then realized that this was a mom and she was in her 30s? She wasn't this teenager they thought that would be beneficial for them. Um, and also what was kind of weird is that if she was being lured in for human trafficking, why was she abused? Um, and that was one of the things that was mentioned to me was, you know, if you do want to have someone in lure someone in, you're not going to abuse them. Like they're your moneymaker. I mean, a sad thing to say, but they say like, this is this is your moneymaker. Why would you um, injure them? Why would you make marks on them? This is, you want to make sure that they're preserved. Her hair was cut from from what we were told. Her hair was um, cut, I believe, kind of like a bob length, like right near her shoulder. So why would you do those certain things? Um, and speaking kind of to the hotbed, um, That was what a lot of organizations say is because we are in this area where we are kind of a big city, kind of not, we're close to major highways. So I-80, that's where San Francisco goes through. We have I-5, which goes from SoCal all the way up uh, along the the west coast. So it, it could be easy for someone just to pick up someone and just keep driving across different state lines.
2: As Ananda points out, Human trafficking victims are typically young teenagers, but Meredith says Sherry's age of 34 may not matter in this case.
4: Certainly some of the victims that we see are adult victims, so it definitely can happen to someone of any age.
2: She also warns about the power of social media.
4: Social media and our our culture now has normalized posting so much private, personal information about ourselves.
2: The city was on high alert with human trafficking rumors.
4: It was a very scary time. When I was
3: doing a lot of these stories and just hearing from other people, people were getting nervous because a lot of us go on runs every day. What if people have been watching us? That was one of the things that was recommended for a lot of the younger girls or younger women. If you do go on a run every day, change your route. And so that kind of, that made me nervous. That made a lot of us nervous. Um, And with human trafficking as well, a lot of the organizations were telling us Sacramento it's a hotbed, you know. If if you are young, you gotta watch your surroundings. You gotta watch your routine and change up your routine. Um, and then the FBI came out and said, "This is kind of an exaggeration. We are not compl- we are not a hotbed for human trafficking. This is all exaggerated."
2: For Ananda sherry's story is a cautionary tale for her as well
3: this was a completely new city for me and at the time i was living right in the city in midtown sacramento um and i was in my late 20s sherry was i believe 34 when this happened so she's not that much older than me and so it was kind of scary to think what if someone is watching me on my runs i i think we are creatures of habit so i do go on i do do things a certain way i go outside of my apartment building, I turn right and I go around the Capitol and then I come back home. But it does make you think, is...
2: Is someone watching me? Could I even be a target as well? Meredith Curry has some sage advice to keep you safe.
4: If you have a routine like a route that you take um, as you drive to work every day or drive home, especially every day, or a path that you take as you jog or ride your bike, it's a good idea just to vary that up um, and not to go alone.
2: But as for Sherry's case, it's been four years and investigators have never located the two women Sherry says abducted her from that road.
3: This case was such a big deal that happened. I mean, this mom was found Thanksgiving morning. So it was around the holidays. And I feel like some of us just kind of want to know what happened to her and if this is legitimate.
2: The motive is still unclear and the case remains unsolved. If you have any information about Sherry's case and the two suspects, call the Shasta County Sheriff's Office at 916-746-7000. There's a $10,000 reward for information leading to the identification of the two female suspects.
1: Hey, listeners, this is Spencer Brudig. I'm here with Will Johnson and Jessica Knoll. Uh, Jessica, the, the fact that, you know, Sherry went through this ordeal and then the court of public opinion kind of comes through and almost immediately doubts her, and, and not only doubts her but questions her sanity, the kind of details that stick out with me in regards to this case, is is the fact is, is the branding and the weight loss, right? She was 105 pounds around that, and when she was recovered or when she was found, she had dropped into the low 80s. And that's a lot of weight for someone that is her size to lose. And then of, of course, you know, she's been marked or branded in some way. I don't know, that just doesn't What are your thoughts on that?
2: You got to look at this as there were definite signs of some sort of struggle and whether or not they were self-imposed or they were, you know, inflicted on upon her. We don't know that answer. But, you know, look at the signs. I mean, not only the branding on her shoulder, but her hair was chopped off. She had long blonde hair. It had been chopped off. And like you said, she had lost a tremendous amount of weight. So there was definite starvation for 22 days. Her face had been beaten, and she had this branding. So, you know, there was trauma that happened to her for those three weeks, and that's undeniable at this point. And then we have to remember that she did return. She returned after 22 days, so if this was some sort of elaborate hoax for whatever reason— then why return?
1: And, and you know, the thing about that, too, is is I know we touched on it in the episode, but can you give a little bit more detail on her, the way that she, did she escape? Um, was She all of a sudden was released, you know, still shackled to, you know, slow her movements down.
2: So she was actually, according to her statement to police, one of the women who allegedly abducted her released her, took her and dropped her off on the side of this interstate by an exit ramp. And that's when a trucker saw her and she was still bound. Um, I guess her wrists were shackled and it was something was tied around her waist to hold her arms together. So she's still in a captive state, if you will. So again, that goes back to your first question. If this was a hoax, you know, she was pretty bound when she was found, uh, on the side of the road. So, and there is surveillance video of her in a church parking lot, kind of like running back and forth, um, and just looking really disheveled. And it's hard to make out cause it's black and white, uh, video and it, it, she's far away, but she just, just her body language. She, she looks disheveled and that's how she was found after one of the women had dropped her off
0: part of the story that maybe people struggle with is the fact that they, you know, they haven't said a whole lot. There hasn't been really any evidence from the police, certainly not Sherry Papini's fault. Um, And then there's this text with an out-of-state guy, right, Uh, that maybe people raise their eyebrows about. But again, doesn't take away anything from what we know about the story uh, and and her, you know, reappearing after weeks.
2: Right. There's been uh, kind of a slow trickle of information that came out from law enforcement. And a lot of it didn't come out for a year after she returned. And part of that was because, according to police, it took her that long to remember what the women looked like. And then if if you go on to abc10.com and you find the, the sketch photos, the two women that she describes are both wearing bandanas over their faces. So it's almost impossible to identify them. But that was one of the pieces of information that came out a year after. And then we have this DNA evidence that's found on her clothing. And one female, one male, and the male is not her husband's DNA. But as far as I know, they have not released information on to as to whether or who whose DNA this is. So... I think, you know, as far as the public goes, there's a lot of holes. And, and I think that's maybe where the idea of, oh, this is a hoax because there's so much missing information given to the public that they don't have anything to latch on to to make this more real for them. And it certainly seemed like it was pretty real for Sherry Papini.
1: Right. And, and in my mind, I mean, a lot of those holes— can be speculated you know into logic that you know was there the possibility that one of the two women was actually a male, and that she if it took her that long to even remember what they looked like, could there have been misremembering of their gender uh, i don 't know there's I can fill in a lot of those holes in my mind, but I can also understand how people question uh, those pieces as well
0: and then the other aspect of this story that I mean gets pretty interesting and also pretty uh, scary for I think residents of that area who were um, aware of, you know, what, what happened. Um, and, and, you know, the reporter you talked to talks extensively about, you know, potential sex trafficking and people sort of varying their routines and a lot of, uh, I mean, good information and advice for an area where this is supposedly it's, it's a hub for this kind of activity and, you know, not going on the same jog every day is something that people were really considering and thinking about and probably should.
2: Yeah. So, Will, one of the things when this human trafficking organization who, who, They work with victims all the time and they say that this is a hotbed area for human traffickers, mostly because it's got two major interstates that run all, you know, through California. But the FBI did point out and clarify for the public, at least, that this is not a hotbed for human trafficking and it's no more subject to human traffickers than any other mid to large city in America.
0: All right, Jessica. Well, thank you for bringing us that story. And uh, of course, if we hear anything new on the story of uh, Sherry Papini, we will bring it to our listeners. Uh, this week, we should do something else that uh, Spencer, I know we've been we're dreading, but uh, Jessica Noll is actually leaving us and moving on. And uh, Jessica, you've been at uh, True Crime Chronicles since pretty much uh, the get-go, right, about a year ago, and uh, we've covered a lot of cases in the past year. So uh, we're going to miss you greatly.
2: Well, I appreciate it, and um, I've really enjoyed working with the two of you and working with listeners from across the country who listen to True Crime Chronicles and who joined our Facebook group Inside the Crime Vault. One of the things that, that really strikes me about the stories that we've done on here is it's an opportunity for cases that are unresolved and sometimes cold to have a new voice and to have new life and have people that have never heard of these stories or heard of these victims to hear their stories. And in cold cases, like we know in so many of these cases, all it can take sometimes to solve these cases is you listening, knowing something and calling the authorities. So, I encourage you to keep listening to True Crime Chronicles and if you have any information about any of the stories, call the local law enforcement, call your law enforcement and be that help that, you know, the victims families so desperately need in a lot of these situations. I particularly find cold cases so interesting because I think it's an it's it's an opportunity. It's a call to action. Um, so it's not just you're listening to our stories, but there's something you can do about it. And, and there are cases like Kurt Sova's case. You know, you, you heard from Kevin Sova, and it's families like those. The reason that we do these stories, and I think it's important to keep talking and keep that conversation going. And Help solve a case if you can.
0: All right. Well, in the meantime, Spencer Brudig and I will be here weekly plugging away at True Crime Chronicles. Jessica, best of luck to you. And we'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.